Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. where you get stuck like Macaulay Culkin and you have no So last year I got stuck on account of the Southwest BS. Uh-huh. You remember that when they just totally yeah. melted oh, down? Oh yeah, where the people were literally quitting because of the yeah. COVID stuff? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I ended up just hanging out more. Luckily, I, you know, I work remotely, so it doesn't- That really was a wild, was that only last year? That was last year. Wow, dude. It was like 10 days. That's incredible. Yeah. So how are you liking Texas now? Because like, you've been here not that long. You've only been here like- I- Less than a year, right? A year and change. Oh, a year and change? Okay. Yeah, it's, I, I, I like to say I'm in Texas and I'm, then I'm in Austin. So Texas is bizarro world. <laughs> and then Austin is bizarro world inside of bizarro world. So it is it's kind of weird. Yeah. And I love the weather. So I love getting sun on my skin, you know, 200 something days of the year. Where I'm from, it's like it, it snows from Halloween to Mother's Day sometimes. So that's refreshing. The people here are super friendly. Yeah. You know, we got some we got, base Bitcoiners out here. Huh? And we got tons of Bitcoiners out here. It's amazing. I'm drinking from the fire hose. I'm learning something crazy yeah. new every day. What's what's one thing uh, What's one thing that you've been surprised about the Bitcoin community here in Austin? Just so people that are like out there listening to this and you're like, I thought it was going to be this way and it's not or something like that. I would say there it's more welcoming than you probably think it is. You know, you come in and you're like, well, these guys are all heavy hitters. You know, you re, you see the level of intellectual firepower and you're like, well, I'm just a pleb, you know, they're not going to welcome me, but they, they do, you know, the first time I showed up at pleb lab, everyone was real welcoming. Everyone was real kind to me. And they, you know, were talking to me about my project. They're real supportive. And what I love about it is, you know, grow, you know, not growing up, you know, since I was in my mid to late twenties, I was always kind of a solopreneur. I was, you know, do my fiat job. Then I would go home you know, engineer my whole life around being able to put in another six to eight hours if possible and, you know, grind it out and try to make a real business. I was not successful doing that, but I was doing that by myself and I was having to sacrifice a lot of my social life on account of that. And the beauty of Pleb Lab is, you know, I'm in here, I'm doing that type of stuff, but other people around me doing it too. So you're ex- exchanging notes. Sometimes you're even sharing code because you're working on almost the same problem that's happened a couple times. And also you just kind of have the social aspect where you don't feel like you're in it alone, which is 
pretty great for me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's always good to hear everybody's um, individual story and, and how, how 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 different it is. Yeah, I remember like for me personally, and I've talked about this on the pod before, but um, yeah, all we had was bit devs, and 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 that was it. And then um, even for that, it wasn't like a really big thing until Parker made it a big thing in twenty one. Um, but um, and that was it. It was a once a month thing. Everybody would uh, somebody like me. I would look forward to the to the barbecue event afterwards. Um, so that's what I would look forward to is the social part of it. Cause I, I wasn't a coder or whatever. Um, but I just wanted to hang out with Bitcoiners. And then that, that was what really kind of, um, got me going on where I wanted to, um, to see happen in my city, you know? You mean you didn't get, uh, all excited over nerds just arguing over like little tiny no, details. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I remember a couple of times in a, Gosh, I don't, most people don't even remember this, so it doesn't matter. I remember a couple of times where we would, we would discuss like spicy topics, like in, 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 in bit devs. Um, and this was like, you know, back 21 or whatever. And, um, and I, I, I would, I would chime out and like say something that was totally against everything that was in the room. Uh, and people were fine with it. It didn't, it didn't bother anybody, but I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, should I have done that? People are going to, you know, and that never happened. But, yeah, uh, everyone thinks that Bitcoiners, just based on Twitter, how hostile it seems. Everyone yeah. thinks Bitcoiners are full of hate. Like yeah. there's some, you know, shitcoiners in town that'll, you know, that I'm friendly with. I wouldn't call them friends, but I know them. And they're like, well, we're going to win because we're not full of hate. And I'm like, neither are we really. We yeah. just love to build and we're not going to tolerate, you know, grifting, which is what we yeah. think is happening. Dude, that's one thing I think like the shitcoiners in town, though, they like kind of see their way out, if that makes sense. Right. What do you mean? Like, remember, there's a couple people that would try to come into Pub Lab and they're total shit corners. And at a certain point, it was just obvious, like, okay, they're just here just to like. They're being too nice. You're like. No, it's not yeah. even too nice. They're just like, they're being inauthentic. It's, it's more that. Yeah. That's what I mean. So the instance that I'm thinking of is somebody came to ABC and they were extremely friendly. I, and I try to be friendly, but then it's just like okay, you're, you're overdoing it. And I can yeah. see that you probably have some agenda and I don't like this. So. Yeah. And there's, there's the difference between the, 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 the poo poo coiners who are kind of like, uh, you know, they're developers. They just don't know any better. Like they don't know the better technology. They think like Solano is it. And then they come in they're like, oh wow, lightning's actually better. And it matches with my, with what I want to do in life. Like, well, that, that was amazing <laughs> to me. We had somebody like that. He's a superb engineer. Thank God we rescued him. Made him a Bitcoiner. Yeah. Superb engineer. I've worked with him. Um, brilliant mind. Firmware engineer. So like really low level software where it's like high stakes. It's like if you mess up, this piece of hardware is not going to work. And really? it's literally just going to come. It's just on metal or something? Yeah. Or? Well, yeah, it's on a microcontroller. And so usually that means it's being packaged in a hardware setup. And the interesting thing about the economics of that are is like you get one shot at it. It's kind of like an example of an embedded system would be uh, sending a rover to the moon. So it's like you get oh, really, shit. you get one shot at it. And if you mess it up, it's really hard to put a patch on it. You can do over the air updates, but if you mess up bad enough, then it's gone. So like something like that, that's a million dollar project. Now, maybe it's a lower level problem, but I remember being at Fortune 500 companies, somebody screwed something up and now a whole engineering team has to spend 72 hours doing over the air updates on Bluetooth, trying to fix this thing because they literally can't ship. 
millions of dollars worth of product. And it's like the stakes are super high. Whereas, you know, if you mess up in other kinds of software, sure, you could have some downtime, of course, but the stakes are a little bit lower because the marginal cost of production isn't so high. Yeah. Gosh, dude. When, when I think, when you say that, I think of the, uh, what was it called? The, um, I saw this documentary about the, them sending rovers to Mars and they lasted like 20 years. It's a amazing documentary. And it talks about what you just described. Uh, one of them died sooner than the other one, but they were, they only wanted to get, I think like five years out of it and they ended up getting like 15 or 20 years out of it, which is incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's always incredible. Um, my dad's worked on stuff like that. He's not an embedded systems guy. He's a mechanical engineer, but you know, he's worked on NASA type programs and it's, you know, it's amazing to see like these telescopes, you know, these telescopes that are going up dude, there. Dude, your dad sounds pretty based, dude. Every time, uh, <laughs> every time we have a conversation about your dad, I'm like, I can't wait to meet this man. Sometimes I feel like he's my 15 year old brother. Cause I'll just say like yeah. a term that's kind of funny and based and he'll just repeat, he'll keep saying what, it. Uh, what, what did, what did, I don't know. I don't want to dox him or anything, but like, what did, what did he work on like growing up when you're like, and how, how did that influence you? He's worked on all kinds of stuff. I mean, my dad's just a general purpose. I, 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 I hesitate to use this term, but it seems like a genius. I mean, he's worked on, you know, he went through the, what is called the Edison program at General Electric. So General Electric actually used to be the Edison company and then JP Morgan bought him out. Right. The, not just the company, JP Morgan himself bought him out, created General Electric, and then they were a huge titan. And they had a great program that would take engineers and kind of do, do like almost like a, a work study program where it's like, okay, you're going to get your master's, you're, you're a promising bachelor graduate, you're going to get your master's, but you're also going to work on really hard engineering problems. And we're going to just put you through boot camp basically. And so he went through that program and I think, you know, I think he was already, you know, an incredible engineer, but he, he just keeps leveling up. And so he worked at GE. I'm not too sure what he worked on there, but he used to work at, Kodak back in the day, just working on like really high level um, projects there. Uh, Anti-vibe in the 80s when it's like that didn't even exist. You know, and um, all kinds of stuff with um, uh, HVAC, uh, uh, heating, ventilation, and cooling. So a lot of thermodynamics. And then that led to him working on a lot of like power system stuff. So I've seen him growing up. I've seen him work on hydroelectric power, literally Niagara Falls all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, I remember turning wrenches with him. He was building something called a heliostat, which is a unique way of p- capturing solar energy that takes mirrors and focuses the sun's energy on a central point. It uses thermal energy instead of photons. So the photons are tough because if the sun goes behind a cloud, you're screwed. You, you go to zero immediately, right? Which is why you need something like a Bitcoin miner in today's environment to, to be able to keep up with that. Yeah. But uh, you have to match supply and demand in real time. So that's a huge vulnerability in your, your grid. So the interesting thing about a Helios, that is if the sun goes behind a cloud, okay, you're not going to generate as much power, but you still have built up energy from, you know, the fact that you were uh, heating up, you were capturing the thermal energy and you heat, heated up uh, this molten salt, which is now pressurizing a turbine. You never go to zero with a heliostat. I think there were other trade-offs and problems with those that we can get into, but uh, it was cool to just see him doing stuff like that and just him kind of inspiring me to think about inventing things and like it is possible. You know, showing me what's possible. How many pens does your uh, dad have? I, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I remember I got my first patent a couple of years ago 
And I was proud of it. And I showed it to him. He's like, well, we're going to print it out. And he printed it out and put it on the wall. And he also printed out, you know, like at least a dozen other ones that he was on. And oh, then he, he put them on the wall. <laughs> they put it on the wall. I wasn't, it, knowing him, it, he wasn't trying to dunk on me. I think he was proud and he just wanted to do it. Like, yeah. But it's just kind of funny how I was like, wow. That's he, awesome, he really, dude. he really beat me. To- what does he, what do you tell him that you work on Bitcoin stuff? What does he think? Like, cause you, you helped create the lightning door, you know, that, that, that was because of your knowledge of like embedded systems and integrating that with like, you know, with Topher and, and, and the rest of the guys here with like the lightning stuff and NFC stuff. Like what, uh, does he know that you're doing not similar things, but you're literally working with energy, just like, you know, a different type of energy. My dad is such a big brain. I just sent him the talk and he's like, oh yeah, I get it. You know? Like, oh really? Yeah. 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 Oh I mean, wow. He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it awesome. doesn't really, I think, uh, I think it, you know, we're from the, we're Italians from the East coast. So we're always like, how is this person trying to scam me? You know? Uh-huh. So I think that was his big barrier of Bitcoin. And then he saw, you know, how I overcame that, that hurdle and became pretty bullish and became really interested in this stuff. So I think that opened the door for him a little bit. And I think just also he's a stubborn man. So it took him <laughs> even longer, but eventually I got him to I got the right combination of current events and, you know, slowly working on him. Like basically I bombarded him for probably about a year and then he was annoyed with me. And then I stopped for a long time and it's like, I don't even mention it. And now he's came, kind of came around to it on his own. Cause you kind of got to let people, kind of, <laughs> you got to kind of let people come around to things on their own. I don't think you can truly persuade people. Yeah. They kind of have to persuade themselves in a way. Yeah. Especially with Bitcoin, man. It's such a, I've always said it's such a mind wrap, like, especially for people that are already, you know, embedded into this like system that they grew up in. And for them to think outside of that is just, it's mind, mind altering. It's an odyssey of the mind for sure. That's why it's so important. I think when you're looking at branding and you're looking at marketing, it's to try to try to reach the thing that they can relate to from their childhood or, or, or anything like that. Cause it, it, that's something that they can pull from and draw emotional attachment to. Maybe that's like the dark side of, of, of tactics, but it works. I mean, we see the fiat space. They do that all the time with like whatever movies they're trying to launch or any type of like Apple does this, right? Nike does this. Like, this is just normal. We got to just got get better at, um, at utilizing our, our means and, and and doing it effectively, especially because we're trying to save people. I mean, let's, let's be honest. About it's a this. dirty word, but propaganda is effective. I mean, and it doesn't always have to be used for bad. Yeah. So we're here to talk about AI privacy. Does anybody care about privacy on AI or do anybody care about, uh, do you care? I care. Why do you care for? So I, I think to date, I always look at where we are technologically and I'm, I just always say it's like baby's first ethical dilemma of this kind. And so, you know, the surveillance economy to date has been kind of creepy, but it hasn't been so over the top that I think it, I don't think it's freaked out enough people yet. Did you see Mission Impossible 7 or whatever it was? I haven't seen it yet, but I get, I get the that basic scares, idea. That the crap out of me. Well, what scares me is, you know, if you, if you pay for a service, if you, sign in to Amazon or Google, they follow you all over the internet with those cookies. You know, yeah. you, if you don't use a VPN, uh, you're, you're, you're doxxed. I mean, they know who you are and that I wouldn't have a problem with that if I thought they had my best interests in mind, but they, they seem not to. So I have concerns for that. And just overall, I think privacy is kind of a public good in a sense. The more people that are, 
kind of off the grid, the harder it is for them to track things and and um, kind of build this huge centralized machine that's kind of manipulating people. I mean, there's there's talks. I mean, you, you know, you, you're on podcasts. I mean, you hear podcasts and, and uh, you listen to some of these other people talk about privacy and talk about AI and stuff. And I think the biggest privacy concerns surrounding it are, are just the, um, it feels like this. It doesn't mean it is, but it feels like it's privacy is just for the elites. Like privacy is just for, you know, the, the, the people that, um, you know, that have the means to control it. Right. I, I mean, that what you're saying is kind of remind me of Marty's podcast with Balaji. I thought it was really good. You know, he talks about how, you know, uh, you know, conspicuously, the, the, I forgot the name of the guy that runs the New York Times, but he's conspicuously never in the news. But, you know, the immigrant from Korea or India or where or Eastern Europe that happened to make their way in Silicon Valley, you know, they're suddenly public enemy number one, even though, you know, maybe they have a few mil in the bank. They're not, you know, which is good, but that they're not, they're not pulling the puppet strings. They just did pretty well. And those people are getting exposed and, and uh, taunted by, you know, the trust fund babies at the New York times. Do you think it's because of the, I mean, do you think it's because of the, the amount of data and just the velocity of it in, in, in that it's just so, I mean, it's out there, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about facial recognitions, uh, software data sets that, that, that are out there, right. That are for sale talking about what you just described, right. Like the Amazon AWS data set or, uh, and you're, you're talking about like just, just this enormous amount of ocean of, of data out there. Um, and we're volunteering it with I know, social that's media, you know, even right now, you know, people are, might be able to make deep fakes of us, which is kind of scary to that's think about. probably happening right now as you speak. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, how, how do we, can you effectively fight against, um, fight against that on the AI side? I feel like it's inevitable kind of, right? I don't mean to be a doomer, but I'm, I'm just trying to paint a realistic picture. I think there's levels to it. Obviously you point out, you know, they could look at anything you posted on social media. They could look at your facial recognition, you know, sure. Maybe that's doxxed, but you know, how about your innermost thinking? You know, I think if, you know, if Google knows who you are, they can, based on what you're searching, they can figure out what you're thinking. So at a minimum, you know, why wouldn't you just use a private browser? Why, why wouldn't you open up a new private instance each time you use it? Why wouldn't you be behind a VPN? So they at least, you at least stop the bleeding, you know, and right. and I think the the same idea of being able to see what you're thinking with Google is kicked in a overdrive with these LLMs. You know, if you're using this for productivity, that's great, but they can also probably figure out what your intention is while you're using it and steal your IP or or otherwise, um, you know, otherwise act out of accord with your best interests. So you're telling me you don't want to put your, you don't want to get your, your face scan with the orb. <laughs> I don't want to get my face. Scan with did, the orb. did you see the whole Sam Altman thing? What'd you, what'd you think about that kind of, cause he stepped or they fired him, right? I have an interesting theory about this. So my understanding of the events is that there was one very militant board member that was not satisfied with Sam for some reason. One of the theories is that they were concerned about this new Q star algorithm which has the capability of taking the, you know, it's a big breakthrough that ha that has the potential to let, a, you know, uh, LLMs reason and other AI systems reason about the world in a way that's much more uh, advanced uh, in, in topics such as mathematics, which they're notoriously bad at. 
and that there were serious concern, ethical concerns around this. And obviously they removed him. Then Sam went to Microsoft, kind of made some power moves, big power moves, big power moves. And then he, they almost had a mutiny on their hands. What was it? You know, 700 or 750, something like that. Almost 90% of the workforce was going to quit and just go to Microsoft. So it's like, okay, this is going to happen anyway. So you might as well. Leaders matter. You know, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's hats off to him for, for having such a loyal, uh, a crew, loyal yeah. crew, you know, yeah. he, he must be very charismatic and probably, um, have good, you know, empathy skills. But yeah. at the same time, you, you worry about, the fact that he went to Congress and said, well, I have this board and they're going to keep me in line and yada, yada. But now when push comes to shove, it's like, they're not. Now you got Larry Summers on the board. Yeah. He went, he went, <laughs> he went to, he went to daddy. Uh, what's his name? Satya. He went to daddy Satya. Yeah. I was like, help me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he did though. He did. Well, the flip side of this is, you know, I don't know. I don't trust any of these people to begin with, but you know, it seems like there's at least some, at least LARPing about, caring about the trade-off between commercial concerns and ethics and safety. But it seems like if there were concerns about ethics or safety, you know, uh, it's possible that Microsoft just orchestrated this whole thing as a power move, right? They, I don't know. Did you take a look at their founding documents, though? Uh, uh, there's a great Stratechery post, and it got shared on Snacker News, and freaking love Ben, too. Ben Thompson great. is like, he's been great. following him for a really long time. A lot of the alpha that I that I that I get from just my understanding of like startups and the tech space for the past 15 years has been from Stratechery. It's great. I'm, I encourage anybody to like sign up. It's like a hundred dollars a year. It's freaking yeah. worth it. Anyway, it was interesting that he got this document and explained exactly how they were kind of uh, broken out. Like there's this 501 that sits at the top. There's an LLC that controls all the equity and that these, these like the employees and everybody else is grabbing from there. Then there's another one just for like, you know, chat GBT LLC. And then there's one that raises, it was just to me, when I looked at it, I was just like, wow, it looks total sus. There's just a lot going on there that looks super sus. And when you're doing like a startup, the, the, the last thing you want to do is create any kind of um, friction like that, or, or to look, look, look at it, look at it to where you look it out on paper, it doesn't look normal. It's the last thing you want to do. You want to keep it very flat. Right. Um, but it, to me, it seemed very weird that he was running this 501 and doing all this other stuff in the background and it just seemed very sus, dude. That to me was the biggest red flag that I saw. And well, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe, I don't know how Ben Thompson got that. Like, that's crazy. Like that, that leaked out. Uh, it's probably because they had to, right? Maybe it's in their docs that they have to by being a 501. But so, so there was some good journalistic digging that he did. Yeah, Ben Thompson is a beast. Yeah. But I... Yeah, Ben Thompson's a beast. And, uh, you know, for me, it makes sense sometimes to have holding companies hold your patents and like limit your liability. But obviously, you're right. There's some stu- sus stuff going on. And, you know, didn't Elon help them start open AI? You know, 100%. what's op- what's open about? How can you be open but have closed source code? <laughs> you know, I think I-, I was surprised they released anything. Well, no, they- that was an LLC that they created underneath it. So the whole, the whole thing. Fair was, enough. But why are, why is that a closed source? You know, what's the point? Why not just start a new company at that it's point? it's valuable, Jim. That part I, is valuable. I know, but just go start a new company and don't make it closed source. You know, that's, that's. The, the other concern. thing was weird. Is he had, he had no equity in, in yeah. any of this stuff, which is even more sus, right? Like he has no skin in the game. And for me, that's just like, you, you look at any, um, any person with the same mind is like, 
You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, the CEO that's going to work himself like a dog should have skin in the game. And if he doesn't, then there's a big problem. It just, it just seems really weird, dude. Uh, maybe he was, maybe he was, um, maybe he was paid a different way. Uh, maybe he was doing a favor. Um, who knows? It, it was just very interesting that um, all this kind of came out and um, all at once and way to close the year, you know? Just it like, almost seems staged to me. I don't know. I, I I almost think, you know, maybe Microsoft egged on that board member to just go nuclear like that. And then, I, and then, and then it gave them leverage. Sometimes right? it's More good things. just to air out your dirty laundry like that all at once. And then you like fumigate it basically. And then at that point you can start off anew. And when there's questions going forward, it's like, no, this is who we are now. This is who we were back then. That kind of thing. So it makes sense from like a founder's perspective. You'd want to do that. But at, at, at that kind of like, like at that kind of juncture, you know, during the holidays, I guess it kind of makes sense. I don't know, man. It's just, it's just really weird. There's a lot of crazy shit that happened this week. A lot of crazy shit. Yeah. It's, it's not so open AI in my eyes, yeah. you know, I, do you think they give a shit about privacy or no? No, they definitely don't care about privacy. I mean, if you think about it in a sense, they have an anti-incentive to care about privacy because why do you they, say that for? Well, because the more data that they collect, the more that they can iterate on their LLMs and make them better. So if they know more about you, they can actually use that information to make the LLM better. So, so just from that standpoint, even if they were totally neutral and not hostile to you in any way, they would they would have an interest in collecting that information, making a profile of you, because then that would make their product better. So right off the bat, I don't think they care about privacy. You know, you could say maybe, you know, beyond vampire. the... <laughs> yeah, they're vampiring all of your, um, you know, all of your data and, and using it against you. And, you know, that's the scary thing is, you know, if I were a business and I were serious about building any kind of LLM product, you know, all these, you know, it's kind of like how, you know, every company is an internet company now. I think it is possible that every company will be sort of an AI company in some sense. But I think you got to you gotta keep your data and try to build your own. And you're better off at this stage when it's still kind of an arms race, you're better off just taking your own embeddings and trying to use the open source stuff to build your own thing and not just give that up to open AI because eventually they'll just run you out of town. They'll just remove you from the process entirely. Yeah, so how do, how do, how do we as Bitcoiners figure out this privacy portion, but also figure out this, like, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, let me rephrase it. How do we as Bitcoiners figure out the privacy mechanics uh, or mechanisms with, with AI while also maintaining our sovereignty? Yeah. I think it's tough because it's such a drastic productivity tool. I mean, you see it in just coding. It's like, okay, I'm never going to write a parser again. You know, parser takes, you know, disparate data and then refactors and processes it so that you can, use it, you know, that's pretty tedious and time consuming and just not having to do that anymore uh, is very useful, right? That, that saves me tons of time. So it's a huge productivity gain. However, you know, I think I would say it's, it's two things. If you're worried about the privacy aspect, it's number one, if you can run your own damn LLM. And if you can't, then try to find one that at least lets you stay anonymous. And that's the beauty of lightning and L402s is it's possible to do that. It's possible to launder your requests through someone else so that at least, you know, ChatGPT isn't building up a repository of, you know, your profile to, to later use against you. So if, if you did it that way, I guess, would, who's, who's actually getting, I guess, docs in that scenario? Is it the, um, yeah, it would be whoever's 
API key is attached or whoever's credit card is attached to that API key, it would be. Yeah. And okay, we'll, we'll jump into so, the- So it'll be almost like a VPN situation in a way. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And, and so the other, you said the other option is running your own LLM and how, how would that basically, just like an on-prem thing or what? what yeah, you- run your own LLM. There's all these open source models. There's Llama, there's Falcon, there's all these new ones coming out and um, and they're, they keep getting better and better. Maybe they're not in some ways as good as ChatGPT, but I think it's just the, the risk reward profile. If you have a low time preference, if you're thinking long-term, it, it makes more sense. Yeah, it kind of make it kind of reminds me of the intranets like back in the day, how, how everybody just ran their own intranet internally. And then, and then we, everybody had their own on-prem like exchange server. Um, and that's what it kind of reminds me of. Yeah, if you can run before your, we had like cloud, you know, and Azure and, and AWS and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, if you can run your own, run your own. If you can remain anonymous, remain anonymous. If you can, um, maybe in, in between, as you chip in with a group of people and you all, you know, share the cost of setting it up. Or, or another model would be, you know, you maybe you have an, an Uncle Jim in your community that's savvy enough to run one of these. <laughs> an Uncle no, Jim yeah, twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patriot. Uh, <laughs> You you could have you could have an Uncle Jim in your community that's that you know you know where he lives you know you shook his hand you know him and you're gonna run this thing you don't have to worry about the stress of it maybe throw him a few sats or whatever and and now you you you, you at least minimize your risk you know because ChatGPT just for the simple fact that they're a corporation they don't care about you you know they're not gonna protect your privacy they're not gonna protect your data they're not they're not gonna not repurpose your intellectual property for their own gain. But that's not a bad, not do yeah, that. not a bad idea, dude. I mean, we were talking for a while here in 21 about doing our own like mesh network and like connect to the commons. So that way we would have like, just like our own, do you know no what ma- I mean? No matter what. Yeah. yeah no matter what we could still send. Stuff. Yeah. We could still send out transactions. Yeah. It's not uh, and super uh, test nuts thinking about this stuff pretty hard. He's trying to do all the, we did the radio project. Yeah. yeah so like, I wonder, could, could you theoretically do something where there could be an LLM that a community of Bitcoiners could use? hundred percent. I mean, we're going to build one here at Pleb Lab. Really? Yeah. So I didn't get the memo. <laughs> I told you, <laughs> I, about, I told you about that. Um, I didn't yeah. know you guys were serious about it. Really? Yeah. I mean, the hardware's sitting right over there, man. Oh snap. Yeah. So so yeah, I, I obviously it's not going to be top of line. It's not going to be the Chat GPT four level, but I don't know that you need that for a lot of tasks. I mean, some of them you do, but we're going to start experimenting with just running our own LLMs. And once we kind of have the recipe down, we want to help train other people how to do it and also train them up on how to monetize it so you can share the cost. You know? Yeah. So let's jump into that. Okay. So I so it sounds like the privacy issues alternatives or I should say the AI privacy issue that we have here sitting in front of us is there's two paths right now. It seems like maybe there's more paths that we haven't thought of yet, but one of the paths is use something like an intermediary, like NOS or something to find, you know, these, um, you know, these different plubs that will, that will give you the access kind of like a VPN, right? Like you described. The other thing is it sounds like the other option is just your local on-prem LLM, right? Yep. So let's talk about Cascader. You built this crazy, thing called Cascader. Uh, I don't know where you got the idea from, but you've been working on it since TabConf because I think you guys won, right? Or yeah. yeah. We didn't win. Uh, Super beat us, but we but we placed. And, um, you know, I worked with two guys. Uh, shout out to Christian, a uh, great engineer. We were talking about him earlier, great firmware engineer. And then we have uh, Topher Scott, yeah. also a great engineer. So we came up with a 
way to broadcast offers for API services, not just AI service, any API service over Noster and attach to it a price. And you say, this is what, this is, you know, this is what the service is. This is, this is what its inputs are. This is what its outputs are. This is what it costs. And then now you can uh, shop and ideally, you know, if you have a few open source, you know, service, uh, you know, service microservice, uh, repositories out there now theoretically anyone could go out there and just broadcast on Noster. you know this is what i have this is what i'm willing to take uh you know this this is what i'll give you and this is what what i'm charging and so now yeah um, pull it up right here on the screen you know, now you can consume these services totally anonymously you know because you're paying for them over lightning so you have pretty good privacy as so, a sender so explain the logic so let's kind of walk through this kind of uh so right now if you guys are listening to this check out cascader cas cdr-dev or sell.app. Uh, it's still in demo stage, but um, kind of explain like, kind of explain the idea behind this and what Cascader is, all that kind of stuff, Jim. Yeah, so I don't know where this idea germinated in my head, but it, but I just got this idea of, you know, I shouldn't have to dox myself to use any of these services, first of all. So that was the first thought. The other thought was, you know, there's people in the world that can't get access to a U.S. credit card or credit card capable of buying ChatGPT, and even if they can, they shouldn't have to pay twenty dollars a month if they're only going to use it a few times, just for a few yeah, little dude. odds and ends. Turns out, for some people in Mexico, that's their whole week's pay. Yeah, and that's that's our that's outrageous to me. Yeah. So I'm trying to trying to figure out a way to solve this problem um, to to make it more private, but also make it a competitive marketplace, right? So yeah. you know, I, I I settled on making it so that you could, you know, and, the, and I had a lot of help from Christian and Topher figuring out how to engineer this, but the idea of broadcasting the offer kind of using Nostra like Craigslist, like, hey, I got this thing. This is what it costs. Come and, come and buy it if you'd like. And so, uh, uh, and so that's just, you know, on the individual service level. But then I said, you know, what if you want to chain services together to make them more useful? So there's three examples that are live in Cascader. And so what Cascader does is it creates a beautiful visual tool for you to see this, see this workflow. It'll go out and find the cheapest, uh, the, the, the cheapest offering that it can uh, for a given service. It will uh, populate that and then it'll route your requests to that and then it'll chain them together such that you got to achieve a goal. So one example would be you can type in uh, a very vague prompt for a uh, text image uh, generation and it'll have ChatGPT make a really high quality one. So if you could t type in like five words, it'll put out, you know, write you like a whole paragraph that's very descriptive and uh, it'll get you a pretty good result. I've, I find it's exceptionally good with uh, things like landscapes. So you'd be like, give me a landscape of West Texas. It'll do a great job. Yeah. Here, let me try it right now. Let me see if I can get it going. So hit start. Uh, let me just put landscape of Austin. Texas, uh, Bitcoin country. I don't know. That works. And then right here, it says the SD model. So just hit Dream Shaper. Is that what yep. you're saying? Yep, that's fine. And then hit result. Just hit the run button. Hit the run button. Okay. Yep. And so right here, what we're seeing on the left side, the pipeline activity, what is? It's just showing you the, you know, what's going on in the background. So it's going to the endpoint and saying, hey, I want to do this thing. And then it comes back with an invoice. And that's all part of the NIP 105 spec. Protocol. Cool. And then so Albi, I'm just paying this with Albi right now. Yep. And then so right now it's, it's showing me that's cool, dude. You have it here on the side that I can just pay there. So it says polling URL. What is what is that? Yeah, it's just waiting for the result to be done. So okay. You have, yep. You have 
so it found Chat it. GPT come out. And so he put in like five words and it came out with like two paragraphs on, you know, the things that make Austin unique. It's like beautiful skyscrapers, you know, beautiful nature and uh, yeah. emphasize the cryptocurrency aspect of it is what it, what it said. So, and then, so right now it's still, it's, it's I guess it it's came, trying to get a stable it, diffusion. It, it came out, you have your pop-up locker on, otherwise it would have just popped out. Okay. But if you go to the, you see on the bottom left corner how it says result, you can just, you can just uh, copy paste that okay. URL. Yep. All right. So let me try this. So it's, st- it's still a demo. I know I have a lot of work to do to make nah, it dude, more friendly. It looks but. really clean. Oh, wow. wow. That was really Dude, that nice. actually looks like Town Lake, man. That really does look like Check wow. that out, Marcus. I was surprised by that. <laughs> that looks like Town Holy Lake. Holy crap. That looks pretty good. Oh, what? Yeah. That's what oh, Cascade came out That looks good, dude. Did That's stable, my baby. Stable Diffusion That's got my that. baby. <laughs> that Whoa. Right yeah, it really does. <laughs> that dude, that looks... <laughs> that looks like Town Lake, bro. That is incredible. That's like, awesome. It has the second level and everything. Yeah. yeah that's so, that's so that's one example for, for uh cascade. Another example is you can just punch in a YouTube URL. So I can and, go right here. Yeah. And it'll, 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 you put in the URL and it'll come out with a transcript. I, I still have to work through some things on the services side here, to make I'll, it. Look, I, I got to, I was listening to this. Uh, it's got to be under 20 minutes. That's what I was about to say. So that's kind of the limitation no, right now. Yeah. I, I, there's this, uh, I fell into this rabbit hole dude yesterday with this Drake AI weekend thing. And then, Oh man, dude, it's some really, I, I really, dude, I wish I had more free time because I definitely want to like play with the audio side of this stuff. Really? Yeah, dude. Because dude, like I remember like, you know, when I was young thinking like, oh man, it'd be cool if you got this person to see it. You know what I mean? It, it, just stuff like that to me. Just run button. Hit the run button. Okay. So I'm throwing this like Drake thing in here and see if it works. It's just, there was this, so for people that are listening, there was this AI, um, version of this thing called um it was like a it was like an ai drake and an ai weekend and they made this song and it got really popular and i think the guy who made it was called ghost rider um turns out that guy is like uh just like a tiktoker he's actually a musician that's why it was so good <laughs> but uh he did an exceptional job and so right now i'm throwing that video or that that song in there and then I'm using Cascader to see if I can get the lyrics for it. Did you see that demo of the guy? It was like a corny white guy like just reading out Kanye lyrics and then it puts it in. Yeah, I saw that guy. Yeah. Con- and you're like, what? This is actually, oh, wow. like at look, first you're like, this sucks and then so, you're like, wow. wow, this slaps. So like, yeah, look, you, so you came back with the chance gift which is I came in with my ex like Selena the Flex, I bump in Justin Bieber, the flavor ain't left. Oh, wow, dude. So it, it does get here. Let me hit the song. I mean, uh, let me see here. So we'll go back to Cascader and see if it matches it. I came in with my ex like Selena the flat. Bumping Justin Bieber. Wow, it's pretty good, dude. She knows she need a need or she blessed. Isn't that cool? You know what? Oh, I just had a great idea. It would be cool if it like on the side had the video and you can like see it in real time. That would be cool. <laughs> there's there, like I said, there's a lot of UX stuff yeah. that would still need to be tweaked. Okay. So that's really interesting. So um, what's this image to text thing here? Yeah. So I just launched this in the last few days. Uh, you Dude, this is fun, man. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. It's that's the whole point is I want to make it fun to, to be sovereign and protect your privacy. But also right? like I'm paying in Bitcoin though. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't want to pay in Bitcoin? You no, want to I'm stack. saying, I'm just saying, I'm paying oh. in Bitcoin. I don't have yeah. to. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, so, um, so I made a couple assistants. The idea is that you can snap a photo and then have an LLM reason about that photo. So, so I just grab a photo from my. Yeah. So, so there's two preset assistants I have. There's three. There's three different pre. There's two presets and there's one custom. So if you do custom, you could be like, "What is this?" or "Who is this person?" or oh. "What can I know about this person?" But another, the other two are one is it helps you figure out how much you can sell an item for in in Bitcoin. So I did. I was kind of uh, joking, but the prompt says, "I'm trying to sell all my belongings for Bitcoin in preparation for the Great Bull Run." <laughs> Please take the photo provide and help me determine a competitive value for it in Bitcoin. Oh. I had to do tons of trickery to get the LLM to accept it because it was trying yeah. to censor me the whole time. Wow. And uh, you figured it, it out. Yeah, I figured out how to engineer so the So how would I use a, this in this in a scenario then? So I'm trying I, to think of so, a, so just you could snap a photo of anything near you that you're willing to sell for Bitcoin and then it'll tell you how much you can get for it. So okay. So yeah, you could do yeah, that 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 picture would be perfect. So, so he's got the Kick-ass pleb lab fight fight club hit run and then yeah and he hits run so now it's going to upload this photo, um, and it's going to cost him about a cent and it's just going to add you know it's going to upload the photo and then ask the LLM a follow up question that question happens to be how much is this worth in sats and it'll come back with a result it's going to yeah. take a little while because image to text is a little and bit so this is called the sat stacker oh wow yeah. 20 bucks yeah so it says it's worth 20 bucks or 50 52.9 depending sets. on the brand and exclusivity of the design yeah, yeah. wow that's cool. interesting and then the other one you have is your shopping assistant yeah so then it'll just tell you hey where can i buy this thing basically and it'll come back and then so like up Amazon. here you have all this other stuff up here too as well yeah so 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 at the top if you go to available services what it's showing you is you know basically you can use them I call it onesie twosie. You can use them, you know, just the one service instead of putting them into a workflow. Oh, okay. So what we saw was just the logic app that kind of walked yeah. you through this. And yeah. then these are just individual. That's right. And right now those are just demos. I'm just trying to show people what's possible. And eventually what I'm going to do is make it so a totally arbitrary, um, meaning, meaning you totally custom workflows can be built. So you just come in and just drag and drop different uh, building blocks and then build your own and do whatever you want with that. That's cool, man. Dang, dude. That's amazing. Good job, dude. Thank you. And you did this for the Bolt.Fun? Oh, yeah. I did it for Bolt.Fun. Uh, you think you'll win? I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm pretty proud of what I built regardless. Uh, that in itself is a prize, but um, it would be great to just get more mindshare and get more people building services and maybe even contributing and uh and helping me make this thing great what's the so there's isn't there other nips out there like um or am i thinking of something else like in this regard yeah i think there's other nips out there um i i like, had, what's your what's your whole like just like let's dive into nostril quick because i think it's important to uh here move the mic down a little bit so sure. you can, uh, yeah speak into it um sure. yeah so like what's your whole like how do you see nostril and like how do you see yeah, how that play now. And then how does that connect with like AI and lightning and all that stuff? Just yeah. from your point of view. It does, yeah. 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 From my per point of view, I think Nostr's great from the perspective that I'm glad people are thinking about censorship resistance and trying to find solutions to that. I, I, I am a little concerned because I do think that there's a lot of money dumped on it pretty early. So that's kind of making it um, 
you know, you might attract the wrong kind of people. You really do just kind of want like the hardcore Organic zealot growth, fa yeah. FOSS people in there mm -hmm. to keep keep it going. Um, yeah, I also worry about, you know, I don't want it to just be Bitcoiners in an echo chamber. I, I do want to see more people from outside. And I worry that, you know, if you everyone deletes Twitter at the same time, then, you know, you kind of lose influence in that sphere and the ability to get more people on the the Bitcoin lifeboat. So I, I worry about that. However, you know, obviously I think it's great that we have a place to go. You know, I, I, I know people talk about this idea of the cyber pandemic of, you know, people trying to KYC the whole internet. I worry about that. And I think it's great that we have somewhere we can go like Noster to. Yeah, absolutely. That. So that's kind of the social side, but then the flip side is, you know, there's, it's not, shouldn't just be social media. It's a new decentralized way to coordinate. So I thought it was really cool. People are figuring out ways to do coin joins on them. You know, in this case, people are figuring out different ways to to offer API services or ratings or other other types of services that aren't necessarily, you know, a Twitter clone. Right. Do you think, um, I, yeah, I, I kind of already know the answer to this, but do you think, I'm going to ask it anyway, because I don't, maybe not enough people know. Do you think the NIP process with, with Nostra is a little bit uh, cumbersome? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a challenge. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of, you know, I think uh, all, all devs kind of have an ego in a, in a way. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be tough to you know, overcome that. And uh, I think it takes a very special kind of person to be a Satoshi that's, you know, willing to walk away or willing to take input from different people. Um, you know, if you study the early days of, of Bitcoin history, I forgot the guy's name, but the guy that, you know, Satoshi handed it to was a pretty I, I won't call him egoless but he was le he was very low on narcissism so he was more willing to take input and in a lot of ways he wasn't even really that cyberpunk he was pretty pretty docile i would say so so it was interesting to have those different personalities but still it kind of kept its core character um i think it's a ch it's very challenging as the person reviewing and maintaining a, a huge boss repo like that so I, I, I empathize with that, but at the same time, I do worry that that is a centralization risk and also that there's been so much money dumped into this. There is kind of a conflict of interest problem that could enter into this where you're like, well, I already did it this way. I didn't necessarily think about the best way to do it. I just put it out there and this is what my thing's built on. And now maybe there's a competing thing and I don't, I don't want that out there. I don't want to lose my status by having to admit I was wrong because admitting you're wrong is hard. And, uh, it, it's, uh. Um, some people don't just don't like to do it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree and definitely agree on the, um, on the, um, on the money being thrown early on. I think like, yeah, it, it would have been better if it had just gone naturally the way it was going, I think. Cause after that, it was just like the amount of inbound and, um, all that kind of stuff. It was also good in a way too, cause it just brought more developers on there as well. And, I was pretty started. early. I, I was I was super early. I, I heard Marty's podcast where he talked to Will. Shout out to Will, awesome guy. Um, and I heard, you know, I, I'm very much what's called the xenophile of the Chinese culture. And I heard that there were Chinese dissidents there. I think the Communist Party of China is a scourge of the earth and they're suppressed they, in a lot of ways they've suppressed <laughs> they they've suppressed a lot of the beautiful things about the Chinese culture. So I really empathize with their plight and, uh, scared man. And I thought it was really cool what Will was doing to, to help people speak their mind. I heard there were Chinese dissidents there. I did very small contributions early to Damas and, um, I got to learn about the protocol early and I kind of forgot about it cause I was, 
you know, this was like July, 2022. I forgot about it. I was real busy. Came back, you know, four or five months later and there's gasoline poured on this thing by uncle, uncle, uh, uncle Jack Dorsey, you know, <laughs> daddy Jack, daddy Jack. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, uh, yeah, but it was also at that time too, where they're going to release the, the blue check thing. And, and so it kind of made sense, like why they, it had to happen at that point, just cause it was more of a, um, you know, um, fight or flight kind of mode thing. Is there anything that surprised you about the AI space or Nostra this year? I was pretty surprised. You know, I, so I guess the LLMs had been around for a while, but I wasn't really using them in a software development context until like, I would say February or March. Cause I wasn't even thinking about that. I was huh. just doing it all myself. And I was like, wow, okay. I actually am a lot more productive with this tool. So I'm going to use it. So that's so fascinating. That, yeah. That's, that surprised you. It did surprise me how, how good it is at helping you iterate fast and, and troubleshoot and do other things. Like I remember one time it was like, I forgot one semicolon somewhere in the code and it just wouldn't work at all. And then I just punched in and it's like, Oh yeah, you forgot a semicolon on this line. And you're like, great. Yeah. <laughs> Saved me like two hours of <laughs> banging my head against the wall. So where do you think, uh, where do you think this is all headed as far as like, um, the whole L402 Nostra thing and, you know, AI. Do you think? Do you think what you're building is the way forward for most people? We'll start maybe adding onto it, or yeah, hundred percent. I, you know, I'm trying to get more people on board uh, offering services. You know, my idea would be, you know, you could take something like an Umbrella or a Start Nine and just press a button, and it'll route. You know, you punch in punch in your API keys, and then start using them and build up the anonymity set. It's almost like a VPN, but for these AI services, right? And you can earn a slight profit for providing that service to people and being a good Uncle Jim. But um, I, I think I think people are going to have to be serious about privacy, and and they aren't yet. But I think eventually there's going to be enough stuff that happens, just like with the Trudeau thing. People are going to get burned and start to adapt. And I think Bitcoin is one of the you know L four hundred two is a beautiful, beautiful tool in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, it kind of seems like it is. Kind of seems like it is. I still think there's a little bit of friction there. Should be a little more seamless, but it's it's getting better. Earlier, I was rewatching because I watched this in like April 2021. Peter Thiel did a, uh, it was like a, like the Nixon Society talk with Mike Pompeo. So they were talking a lot about the US-China relationship because Nixon famously opened that relationship. They were talking about different things. And one of the things that he said that I still think about a lot was he talked about how, you know, Bitcoin, something like Bitcoin is a very libertarian technology just in the way that it, it, it instantiates itself and, it's, it, you know, at least slightly. And then AI is a very statist authoritarian technology and how having those two technologies competing is, 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 is interesting and it might be the story of our time. Because the because the AI helps the state scale, right? They have all this data on everyone, but maybe they're not able to pick out a pattern of, you know, some crime they could nail somebody for. But now with AI, it's snap of your fingers, which is scary. Report, man. It's it's yeah, pre-crime. You know, it is it is scary. Yeah, I don't think I'm just I'm I don't think there's any way around it. Honestly, I don't think there is either. But I think uh, there's steps we can take to protect ourselves and maintain our sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. How do you even, 
Yeah, I guess it's just cat mouse game, right? At the end of the day, but it's scary, man. It's scary to know, it's scary to know that one day you're you're gonna walk in the mall and they're gonna be like, "Hey, car, got these nice shoes for you. You ready to get them now?" Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be like, "Whoa, yeah." When did I uh, tell you when I, I sign up shoes? for this? Yeah. yeah. Well, I th- I, I and, and so what, Mike, uh, not Mike Pompeo. What uh, Peter Thiel said earlier about like, that that duality between AI and Bitcoin. I think about. I also think about you know Eric Kaysen's book. I think you talked about it in one of your previous podcasts about how yeah. you know encryption and especially Bitcoin are tools for the individual against you know having their rights taken. And it's sort of in this agorist philosophy of all right. Well, if we can we can enshrine it in a law, but we'll, uh, you know, it's it's the whole don't tread on me to can't tread on me paradigm, right? Of using these tools in a way that protects yourself um, against these, you know, ever more predatory systems with the surveillance and the AI. Do you think we have a better shot of doing that here in Texas than we do in some of these other states? Do you think that doesn't really matter? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. It just seems like cyberspace is its own, its own yeah. uh, frontier. But I definitely think it helps if you have... Uh, an intolerant um, you know, remnant that just won't put up with BS, you know, and that's kind of what it seems like Texas is at this point. Was it, was it the opposite in the East Coast where, where you're from? Yeah, I think it's a lot more docile. I mean, w- another book that informs a lot of my thinking is this book called American Nations. I forgot who authored it, but the idea is that, you know, America was never one country. It's actually like nine or 10 countries that each have their own unique culture. And so the East Coast, especially the Northeast, it was kind of uh, heavily influenced by the Puritan culture, which was like, okay, we're going to put our trust in the government. It's gonna, And to start, it was a local government. And okay, we're going to have a very communal way of doing things, fine. And eventually that evolved into kind of where, where we're at now. It kind of, in my opinion, mixed. It kind of threw out a lot of the, the religious stuff in, in exchange for Marxist stuff, but it still kind of has that mentality of it's like, well, why would the government ever screw me over? They have that mentality. Whereas, you know, Appalachia, um, you know, the South, um, you know, other parts of the country have kind of felt the, the, the weight and the costs of tyrannical and, and uh, you know, uh, profligate spending government. So it's just a different mindset, you think? Yeah, it's just a totally different culture, you know, and the way, you know, think about the way you're taught in school, it's probably totally different. I mean, you'd probably do a really interesting documentary on something like that. I'd love to see that. Um, but just, you know, the culture, the local culture does still affect things. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, if, if uh, you know, just as Bitcoiners that are living here and now raising kids here and you're seeing families, more and more Bitcoin families kind of, you know, popping up here in Austin and the central Texas area. Like I think the more and more that kind of happens, I think, I think, I think that's what kind of swings the pendulum. Yeah. I think, I think the ideal is to homeschool your kids or if you can't just do it yourself, like find a community of like-minded people and just hire a teacher instead of, instead of sending them to public schools. Cause yeah. what are they going to learn at the public schools? They're typically going to yeah. learn how great the government is and how, you know. I think that's what I'm saying, dude. I think the longer, I think the longer I kind of see this kind of playing out here in Austin, I think it's just going to be completely orange where you're going to start seeing like our own grocery stores, our own schools. Like it, I'm, I'm not even joking when I say this, like I really do think that that, that future is well on the horizon here in the next 10, 15 years. What do you think is going to be like a, uh, 
the switch that flips for the average just red, let's say red American or just like average Joe in Texas. I think we can go back a hundred years and look at the Weimar stuff. It's a perfect example of it. Yeah. Um, what happened it, there? Yeah. Like in Germany, I think it was like in 1923, uh, the Weimar Republic, the inflation recession at that time. Uh, I think they, I think the, uh, and the only reason I know this stuff because I just started watching this like crazy Netflix documentary about the third Reich. And uh, yeah, there was, there was a run. Uh, I think, I think Stalin, was it Stalin that did that? Or was it Stalin? So they had seen, they had, they had already seen like this kind of takeover that happened. Who's they? Um, Germans. Okay. And so I guess that's Stalin probably. Yeah. And so at that time, the Germans saw that and that's when you saw these, you know, Adolf Hitler and, and I think his name's Eichmann or whatever his last name is. And so these guys started trying to do the same thing and then he went to jail. And There's a great drama series you'd love. Well, here you go. Let me get back to the point. Sorry. So, so what, so basically what happened in, um, so that whole, whole twenties were just lost because it was just complete, like utter chaos. Right. Um, and then it wasn't until the 1929, um, stock market crash that they then saw people start turning towards what Adolf and his crew were, were open to. And then that, and the rest is history after that. But like, what I'm trying to say is like, I think, I think we're going to need a scenario like that. You got to hit here, rock bottom. You have to something. hit rock bottom. And yeah. I think that's, I think that's well on the horizon here before the end of the decade. Yeah. We'll get that crazy crash and then people will finally wake up and uh, hopefully it doesn't go <laughs> towards darkness. So you think the Texans um, have the mentality of like, all right, well, they screwed us. So now we're just- I think we're, I think, I think we're kind of ahead of the curve here because we're already kind of building it. There's a lot of Bitcoiners in this town that are already kind of building things. But I'm talking uh, about think, the average Texan. Like, what about them? I mean, I think we're a pretty small remnant. I think I think we need more friends, you know? No, I, I think they're just going to get in just like the way some of these other guys have gotten in okay. um, that are kind of like on the outside. Maybe maybe they don't work in the in the quote-unquote industry or whatever, but they are well aware of it and well aware of like what we're trying to do here and a lot of those values and ethics and principles fall in line with theirs as Texans and they're okay with it. And I think... Obviously, we've seen that with the beef initiative and stuff like that and and other things. But that's what I'm trying to say. I think eventually that just kind of, it just, it's just inevitable, man. I really do. I really do think so. I, I, there's like no doubt in my mind that's going to play out that way yeah. here in Texas. I mean, because you didn't go to, or you did go with us to um, the roundup. The roundup, right? Dude, do you see all those Bitcoiners from all over Texas? And that because a lot of them didn't show up, but. Dude, that was a that was a good solid group of people that were trying to make uh, the state orange there. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that well, that was what was Jonathan's take? It was like this is going to be sort of like the Medici, you know, the Medici's. Uh, I just remember him being saying that center. Ninja Turtle joke. I don't uh, remember that part. Uh, yeah, what did he yeah, say? Well, just how Venice was kind of at the center of like a Renaissance oh, yeah. because it was you know it was liberal and it was. Yeah. Um, you know, economically prosperous and it was embracing new ways of doing things. Uh, especially like, uh, I think, I think accounting played a big role, just the ability to do accounting. Cause you know that the number zero was forbidden for a long time in the Western world. Which no, is I didn't know that. that uh, Robert Breedlove, great writer, wrote Bitcoin and the number zero. And he just talks about how, you oh, know, wow. how the discovery of absolute scarcity, which is Bitcoin, the discovery of absolute scarcity resembles the discovery of the number zero uh-huh. and how you know, that made the number zero made accounting and economics much more efficient. Those who refused to get on board suffered and those who didn't 
yeah. one out in the long run. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's just kind of how I see it playing out. I, I don't, I'm pretty bullish on what's happening here. Um, really bullish on what's happening in Texas. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been more bullish on Texas in my entire life. Yeah. I feel like I'm drinking from the fire hose every day. There's so many smart people. Very just virtuous, in this town, right? People. Yeah. Yeah. This town is vibrant right now. So... I don't know, man. It's gonna it's gonna be really interesting. I I can't wait to see more of this AI kind of stuff take off. Um, I have a feeling it's gonna take off next year, really, in a really big way here in town. So we'll see. I'm excited. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna keep building Cascader. I'm gonna keep building Cascader. Yeah. Do you think it'll ever become a company, or what are you thinking there? We'll see. <laughs> oh wow, really? We'll see. You think so? I think it's possible. I mean, I think ideally, you know, if that's the way, I think uh, it's best to move this forward. Um, then I'll do that. I, I think it, I think it's imperatively important. You know, I was saying it earlier, and it, and it sounds kind of scary when people think about the Second Amendment. I I, I think the rela- our relationship with this is very similar to the Second Amendment. You know, we need to have control of these tools. We need to have mastery of these tools yeah. on an individual level. We need more people running their own LLMs so that we can resist what comes next. Because I think I, I think we're in the honeymoon phase. I think right now. Um, you know, we're kind of, they're kind of just letting, letting us do kind of what we want. The LLM soon, they're going to be, there's going to be more censorship. There's going to be more, you know, punishment that, you know, you might, yeah, yeah. You might, you might ask the wrong question. You might, you might have a little too much. And then get a knock at your door. Yeah. You might have a little too much to think and ask the wrong question and then the LLM comes for you. So, you know, before that day comes, let's learn how to master these tools and uh, run them privately. It's scary to think about. Yeah, I mean, just your Google searches—they can think, they can imagine what you're, what's going on in your internal dialogue. So now, what happens when they can, when they can look at your LLM queries, which are even more sophisticated, right? Man, at this point, we should just like go live in a log cabin or something. <laughs> it's crazy. Not the worst idea, but <laughs> I, I, I prefer not to be a lot. Yeah. I, I prefer to just try to master the tools and stay one step ahead if I can, and you know, find a way to. Um, to protect me and my friends and the people around me. The future's stacked like a rubber band Off my phone on a hand-to-hand Each two for the waist, put two in his roof And I can't still live in streets all night These days is all night Not a ride there, portfolios like rodeos Rise every time my cherry glows On the end of my cigarettes, the smoke blows Through the bars and a CEO Yeah, we did.